0: in the same region there were shepherds out of the field who could watch over their flocks by night. The word of the Lord. <laughs> December seventh, 1941, a day that will live in infamy, so said Franklin Roosevelt the day after when he asked Congress to declare war on the empire of Japan. Many of you have heard about this story, how the day started as a normal day just like any other in Hawaii, people waking up wondering what they were going to do, what they were Lunch, what they were going to wear. And it came upon them as suddenly as anyone could ever imagine 353 planes attacking Pearl Harbor and basically killing thousands and thousands of people, wounding or destroying all of our battleships. It was an attack that changed history. It's interesting how single events can change the course of history, isn't it? That started World War II, a battle for the supremacy of the earth in which by the end of it over 50 to 70 million people died. A single event that changed history. Now there are plenty of events like that that have changed the course of history, whether it's the signing of the Declaration of Independence, whether it's D-Day storming of the beaches of Normandy, or whether it's a couple of terrorists flying a plane into the Twin Towers. Normal days that started like any other and ended with a bang. And so as we look at this event, We're curious and we're confused, for this is a day, an event that has surely changed history, but one that started as normal and ended not with a bang, but with a whisper. An event that far eclipses everything else that has ever occurred in human history, because this was the day when heaven intersected with earth, when the kingdom of God intersected with the kingdom of man. There's much this story can teach us about God, and much that can teach us about ourselves. Truth be told, it's easy to pass over, isn't it? We're still doing it in the year 2012, missing the point of this baby who was God and came to earth. But this king who has come to inaugurate a kingdom that will rule over all has come to separate us into two peoples, one that served and loved him, and one that does not. Because the truth of the matter is we all bow to a king and we all live in one kingdom. And if we bow to the kings of the earth, they will enslave us. But we will only know freedom when we bow to the king of heaven. There are three things we're going to talk about in this story. The story is about two kings. An earthly king and a heavenly king. A Caesar and a baby. The story is about two kingdoms kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of earth one of which by which we live and the story is about two peoples those who worship God and those who don't one of which we are because if we bow to the kings of the earth they will enslave us but if we will bow to the kingdom of heaven we will be free let's go ahead and let's take a look at this first question these two kings a lot of us sort of glossed this over but there are two people mentioned one is Caesar Augustus and the other is Jesus. One who rules from a palace. One who is in a manger. One who is all-powerful. And one who seems to be defenseless. You know, there are five verses devoted to the command of Caesar for this census. And there's only two devoted to the birth of Christ. We see in verse 1, in those days, a decree went out from Caesar. Augustus, that all the world should be registered. That de- the word decree in the Greek could also be command. A command went out. From 45 million people in the Roman Empire that would need to go to be registered. We all have heard about the Caesars. They were these great imperial kings who were over all the Roman army. They were like gods, if you will. They commanded and it occurred. And this one, Augustus, was quite an interesting one. His name actually wasn't Augustus. It was Octavian. He was the heir apparent to Julius Caesar. And when Octavian came to power... There was tremendous unrest in the Roman Empire. In fact, a civil war was going on. And this one Octavian was able to put down the insurgents and bring peace to Rome. And so they called him the King of Peace. And when there were enemies that were coming in from outside, indeed even at the gates of Rome, he was able to push them back. He was able to create the Pax Romana, if you will. It was a great way he did it. He would just go over to another country and decimate it. that's a great way to have peace. He just wiped everybody out. And so they said he was the king of peace. In fact, he was the soterios, or the savior of Rome. When they would hear news of his battles that would come back, they would say it was good news. It was gospel. And so they changed his name from Octavian to Augustus, which means worthy of worship. Indeed, when Caesar died, the people uh, divinized him. They made him a god, and so because he was the son, they gave him the title of Divi Filius, son of God. And so this one had a very special birthday, Augustus, the one who was worthy to be worshipped. Here was the edict that all the cities unanimously adopt the birthday of the divine Caesar as the new beginning of the year. The birthday of the god Augustus has been for the whole world the beginning of good news concerning them. Therefore, let a new era begin from his birth. This divine king gave a command that everyone would go out and they would register to be taxed. But it was even more than that that they would register to give fealty to the great Caesar. He would count his subjects and they would worship him. They would lift him up. And so this story finds us on a dusty road with two Peasants, where a baby goes to pay allegiance to a human king. But God is greater than this human king because behind the decree and edict of Caesar was God's plan of moving 45 million people to make sure one would end up in Bethlehem. For seven years, 700 years before, in the book of Micah, Micah 5, the prophet said, But you, Bethlehem, Though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from old, from ancient times. See, David, uh, Joseph was from the line of David. And so he went to Bethlehem to be registered. The Savior was one who would come from the root of Jesse, one who was a descendant of David. Who would bear this this, uh, descendant of David and he would be glorious. Isaiah 9 told us, For to us a child is born, a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. But there's something strange as we look at this passage, for we don't see glory, do we? We don't see majesty, we see a simple baby in the manger. And yet we see Caesar's kingdom, and we see all of its and circumstance, and we wonder, what is going on here? See, we have to understand the difference between these two kings. See, one has obtained the title of a king, but Jesus' very nature <laughs> is that of a king. See, truth be told, Caesar Augustus' power was all based on image and appearance, as he had to elevate himself above the people, as he ruled by threats of intimidation. And also reward and prestige for those who would bow down and worship him. He called himself God, but at the end of the day, he was just a man who had lived his life and died. Augustus was very similar to Oz behind the curtain, making himself to be great and powerful, and yet he was a simple man. But you see, Jesus is totally different. Because Jesus did not have to attain the position a king. It is his very nature. He was and is the king. See, the reason that Jesus came as he was because he didn't need to impress anybody. He didn't need the approval of any man. He did not need to bring together factions to consolidate his power. He needed no army to carry out his edicts, for he was the son of God. He needed no riches because he owned everything. See, Caesar had everything to prove And Jesus had nothing. And so Jesus started his kingdom from the most humble of locations. And of course it would rise and become a kingdom that would envelop the earth because he is the king. I remember as a kid, my parents took me on a trip to California, and we went to this place. I still remember it in the recesses of my mind, the Sequoia National Forest. Anyone ever been to the Sequoia National Forest? It's unbelievable. Okay, these sequoias, they're the largest trees in the world. They grow up and they're massive. And I remember this tree that I came before, the General Sherman tree. Anyone ever seen it? Biggest tree in the world. In fact, I searched the annals of Rodriguez history, and lo and behold, there's me before the General Sherman. It's true, I used to be a child. I don't that You wouldn't know it. Look at the size of that. It's 375 feet high. It dwarfs the Statue of Liberty. It's 105 feet in circumference. I'm just a boy there, but you can get a little bit of a gauge. It weighs 22 and a half million pounds. It's a monster. And what's amazing is this big, big tree came from something like this. Even so, the sequoia doesn't come from something as big as an acorn comes from a seed about the size of a piece of oatmeal. This little, little thing to grow up to be this giant tree. Why is it? Why did it do that? It's because it's its nature. It's what it's born to do. It's what it is. And even though it starts small in the end, we see what it becomes. See, that's who Jesus is. Very nature is to be king could start out anywhere he wants, and he will become king. Why? Because he is. The truth of the matter, though, is we are attracted to the glitz. We're attracted to the pomp and the circumstance. We don't believe in this. We like this. That's shiny and beautiful, and it seems bigger, but it comes to naught because it eventually tarnishes and is burned out. See, that's the reason why everybody loves Caesar. Because Caesar said, I can give you everything that you're looking for if you bow down and worship me. But you see, Caesar, again, was just a man who died like everyone else. He created an empire which eventually would fall. But Jesus, this little, little seed in the womb of a little woman, grew up to be the king whose kingdom would never end. We must worship a king The trick is to recognize who is the true king. So who is your king? Maybe it's the almighty dollar, the glitz. If you have it, you're powerful, you're rich. You have everything that you can want, you'll be safe. And if you don't have it, you will not be safe. Maybe it's a special someone else in your life that if I could just have them, if they would just love me, if I could just love them, then I would find everything that I'm looking for. I would have the glitz. I would have the pomp. I would have the wedding. I would have all the things that the movie talks about. See, the truth of the matter is all of those things, even though they look like kings, they're not. Not that they're necessarily bad, but they're not meant to be the king because it's not in their nature. There's only one king, and his nature is to be king. And this is the king who has the power over death itself. See, on this quiet little night, a seed was planted. It would grow to encompass the entire earth. For if we bow to the kings of the earth, they will enslave us. But we will only have freedom when we bow to this one, the sequoia, the king of heaven. Well, we've talked about two kings. I want to talk about two kingdoms. See, there's another reason that Jesus came this way. Not just because it was his nature and he could come any way he wanted See, there was a reason why Jesus came as a poor nobody. No status, no title, no education. See, other kings, they elevate themselves, don't they? They have to rise above so they can look down and command. But this kingdom, this king came in a different way, didn't he? He came from below. Because this king did not come to rule from above, he came to rule from below. And he not only came to rule us, but he came from To save us. See, he's not only king, but he is savior. The question we have to ask is, save us from what? See, we like to think that we're free. We like to think that we have no shackles, especially in America. We can do whatever we want. But the truth of the matter is, we are rebels. And the rebels, the enemy we have is not out there. The enemy we have is up there one we were designed to worship, the king, who says, you shall worship the Lord your God only. You shall not bow down to any other gods. You shall worship him. You shall not have an idol that you worship. You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, all of your soul, all of your mind. But we are rebels. We have imprisoned ourselves on this debtor's prison of earth. And we have a sentence over our head. You know, it's interesting in our penal system, you know, the worst uh, crime you have, the greater the punishment, right? You have a speeding ticket, you go, you pay your money, uh, you know, it is. You break in someplace, it's a felony, you may have to spend some time in jail. But the worst of the worst crimes have the worst of the worst punishments, doesn't it? The death penalty. Well, how do we know that we're under the death penalty? Because we're all going to die. See, that's the curse of a people that have rebelled against God. See, we have met the enemy, and it is ourselves. We not only need a king, we need a savior. We need one who can come and who can win from within. Who can overtake Satan, who is our jailkeeper. The one God has assigned to watch over us. And so this mission, if you will, the mission of God becoming man was the ultimate insurgency. It was black ops. It was guerrilla warfare at its best. God becoming man. As the book of Hebrews says, since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity so that by his death he might destroy him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. An insurgency, From one who's placed among us, one that we didn't even know in the beginning. See, the story's always the same, isn't it? The story that always is in the movies is taken uh, from the main story, one who rises from within, one like us who has the courage to take over uh, and fight the bad guys, if you will. It's Cantus in The Hunger Games. It's William Wallace in Braveheart. It's Neo in the Matrix. And it's Captain Miller, played by Tom Hanks, in Saving Private Ryan. Ordinary people, people like us who rise up, who are willing to give their life so that we might be free. See, Jesus came to save and to free his people. And so he came as one of us and laid down his life. Jesus came not only to rule us, but to save us, to stand in our place, in judgment, so that we might be free. I don't know if you've ever read the book, The Tale of Two Cities. Very famous book. Charles Dickens wrote it. And it's the story of the French Revolution. And there are two main characters. One is Charles Darnay, who's a French aristocrat. And there's Sidney Carton, who is an English lawyer. And their lives are intertwined through this revolution. See, they have several things in common. The first is they love the same woman, Lucy Manette. I'm probably mutilating these names, but whatever the case. <laughs> Lucy Manette, they both love her, and they want her to be their own, but she can only belong to one. In addition, they they, they they bear eerie resemblance to one another. They look the same, so much so that throughout the book, people mistake one for the other. But there's a difference between these two men. You see, Sidney Carton is... Uh, is Charles Darnay Gone Bad. His character is the exact opposite of Charles Darnay. Darnay is good, Carton is bad. Darnay is uh, good to people, but Sidney is an underminer. They're the exact opposite of each other, so much that when Carton looks in the mirror, he despises himself because he looks like this man Darnay, who has everything that he is not. And so he hates Darnay. Well, Darnay is taken captive because he's an aristocrat. And he's going to die. Lucy has chosen him. And lo and behold, Carton comes to his senses and he says, you know what? I have one chance to redeem myself. And I look exactly like Darnay. So he sneaks into the prison. He drugs uh, Darnay and gets him out of the prison and he steps in his place. And it is Sydney Carton who gets the guillotine, not Charles Darnay. You know, it's a beautiful story, isn't it? One giving the life for the other. And we could look at Jesus in the story and say it's the same, but it's not. See, the bad guy redeems himself at the end sometimes and he dies for the good guy. But the good guy never dies for the bad guy. The good guy never goes into the prison and saves the bad guy. The bad guy's got what's coming to him. See, the person in the prison of earth is not Charles Darnay, it's Sidney Carpenter. It's us. We're the negative image of Jesus Christ. We're Jesus Christ gone bad. And yet here is this one, Charles Darnay, the good one. The one who eerily resembles us. Who comes into the prison to take our place so that we might go free. And it's Jesus who gets not the guillotine, but he gets the cross. See, Jesus lived the life we should have lived and died the death we should have died so that God the Father would look at us and love us based not on our record, but rather on his. To the beauty of this story in the end, Carton dies, but this one, the Savior, doesn't because he is the true King. He is resurrected. The death penalty does not stay on his head because he is the obedient Son. See, my friends, we not only need a king, we need a savior. So where are you going to find salvation? The first step, do you realize that you and I are locked up? We're in a prison in this revolution, and we have received the death penalty. So as we wait for our demise, the question I have is, who's willing to come into my world to take my place that I might be free? Who's willing to get up on a cross and die for you? Is your wallet willing to get up on a cross and be crucified for you? Is your job willing to get up on a cross and be crucified for you? Are your hopes or dreams or aspirations or your beauty or your strength? Can any of them save you? Will any of them take your place? Jesus said, you know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles, lord it over them, And their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. And to give his life as a ransom for many. This is the only king who can set us free. When we bow to the kings of the earth, they will always enslave us. But when we bow to the king of heaven are freedom. Two kings, two kingdoms, two peoples. See, Jesus has done all of this to set up a kingdom. A kingdom that is advancing. That is a spiritual kingdom right now that cannot be stopped. And eventually will be consummated in a physical kingdom when he renews the earth and renews us as well. And so this one, Jesus, this little baby, is the most dangerous of all people because he creates a dividing line between two. Those who worship him as king and those who don't. Those who worship the kings of the world and those who worship the kings of the king, of king of kings. You can always tell a king, by the way, by his kingdom. If you look at the kingdom, you'll see the king because the influence of the king filters down to the kingdom. And so let's look at the kingdom of this world, the kingdom we too often serve. How is one saved? How is one great? It's very simple. You have to be qualified. You have to have power. You want to go to this specific college, you need to have the qualifications. If you want to go to this specific job, you need to have the right resume. If you want to be seen as popular, you must have all of the right accoutrements, the beauty the money, the power, the intelligence, that's how somebody becomes someone in this world. But in the kingdom of Christ, everything is turned on its ear. It's an inversion. The kingdom of Christ, the only way that you get in is by acknowledging that you're spiritually bankrupt. The only way that you get in and are seen as great is someone that says, I don't have anything to In the kingdom of the world, we gravitate to the center of influence. Let's get to the center where we can be in the know and with the right sort of people. But in the kingdom of Christ, we gravitate to the edges of society, loving the lost, loving the weak, loving the helpless. In the kingdom of the world, the goal is to rule. In the kingdom of God, the goal is to serve. Kingdom of God is heartless. It spits you out. It chews you up. Once you lose your value, you're discarded on the trash heap. A great Caesar who has fallen from grace. But in the kingdom of God, Jesus loves us not because we have it all together, but in spite of the fact that we don't. See, we have to choose a king that we will serve, and whichever king we serve, puts us in a specific kingdom. So where do you want to live? Where do you want to live? Do you want to keep on living in a place where your value is based on who you are, how much you have, what you do? Or do you want to find a kingdom where you can sit and yourself and be loved because Christ loves you? Where you can actually love people around you and actually serve them and not have to put your feet on their shoulders to get above them but you can get below them and you can love them. See, that's the kingdom of Christ. It's the one that we're looking for. And even though we can't see it right now, it has come. And it's in the hearts of His people. It's in places like His church right here where we can see the kingdom that is advancing. This kingdom that will ultimately take over the world. And these ideas and hopes that we have will become manifest. We have to make a choice, my friend. The true king has come in a seed form that has taken over the world. The true savior has come, the one who stood in our place, that we might be free. And the true kingdom has come, that we might be liberated and not enslaved. If we bow to the kings of the earth, whatever they are, we will ultimately be enslaved. We will only know freedom if we bow to the king of heaven. By God's grace, let us do so. Let us pray. Lord, what a beautiful picture—a king who came as a baby, a peasant who needs no approval ratings, who needs no army, who needs no consolidation. For you are the King of Kings, and it is your nature, Lord. And you showed it by your resurrection—that your kingdom grows in the hearts of your people, that will be consummated ultimately when you renew the earth. Lord, we thank you that you were Charles Darnay, who came into prison where we were and freed us. Not because we were the good guys, but precisely because we were the bad guys. And we thank you that you've given us a new place to stand, a kingdom where we can acknowledge that we're spiritually bankrupt. And yet, you accept us, you hold us, and you say, welcome, this place is for you. Lord, help us to live in that kingdom, to believe in the dream, and to stand firm even amidst the storm. We pray all of this